Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 105, chat with Dr. Charles Howell of Youngstown State University of Ohio. From Dr. Howell's bio page at Youngstown State, Charles Howell, an anti-war activist during the Vietnam War era, earned a bachelor's degree in social studies education from Georgia State University. After teaching in elementary schools in Georgia and Maine, he took a master's degree in creative writing from the University of Iowa. For nine years, he taught composition at Syracuse University, before completing doctoral work in philosophy of education in 2001. Prior to arrival at Youngstown State University, he taught education courses at Moorhead State University in Minnesota and served as department chair at Northern Illinois University. Dr. Howe's scholarship focuses on political and ethical issues in education, especially parents' right and responsibility to control the education of their children. He has been active in the national debate about the social and political implications of homeschooling. His two children were educated at home from ages 10 and 11. Dr. Howell was appointed Dean of the Beagley College of Education in 2012. Under his leadership, education and counseling programs were reaccredited in 2016 and 2018. At the height of the pandemic, in spring 2020, he oversaw the merger of education with the College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences, and now serves as Dean of the new college, Beagley College of Liberal Arts, Social Sciences, and Education, known by the mellifluous acronym B-Classy. Dr. Howe received his Ph.D. from Syracuse University in Cultural Foundations of Education. Dr. Howe is a longtime listener to The Christian Atheist, and we are thrilled to chat with him today. Welcome, Dr. Howe. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I hear you. <laughs> yeah, that's a familiar face, getting to be a familiar <laughs> face now. Hey, Jenny. She's out in the kitchen right now. She's my um, technology expert. She got it all set up. Well, I know that uh, this is really a two-person job, isn't it? Oh, it is, for sure. In everything I do, it's a two-person job. <laughs> we are We are one flesh in so many ways. <laughs> Well, I know that you, uh, when you put out so many of these uh, podcasts, that uh, it's uh, it just uh, seems like it must be overwhelming. You do one a day, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, one a day plus. I, I guess if you if you add the two, no compromise, and so be yeah, one every day for seven days a week. <laughs> so and yeah, that's how a long? Lot. You, how long have you been doing that? About two years now. Two and a half years. Yep. Wow. Yeah, actually, it's almost three years because soon after we got married in 2019 we came up with the idea let's do a ministry and that was what came to mind so i started doing christian atheist things without really at first calling it that and then uh, we sort of morphed into it as we went forward what else can we do and we thought well we need to ground people in the realities of the world around us and the western tradition that we've lost and so then, oh, yeah, then we yeah. then we did simple gifts and then because the content of the Christian atheist is so complex and deep and hard to understand, we launched no compromise to try to sort of explain some of that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So you have a, you have a segmented market there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I guess I, I don't know how it plays out amongst our listeners. We have almost a thousand subscribers on YouTube 
and I don't know how many people are following on the uh, podcast links. So, right, yeah, you don't I, have any way to quantify that, huh? Yeah, no. I mean, they, you know, we get report on how many listens we've had and things like that. But yeah, really, no way to correlate it with the actual listeners who are out there. You know, it is uh, sort of an interesting alternative and parallel to higher ed, isn't it? It is, and it's, I mean, I don't know if you follow things like Jordan Peterson. He's like given up on the university system and um, he's trying to come up with an alternative that's more web-based and, and not like the online alternative, but like a real university, high quality educational classroom yeah. experience that delivers content and a, a well-measured degree achievement. And it's pretty amazing what he's doing. And there's some others too that are pursuing it. And I'm really excited about all of it. You know, so we both share a s experience with higher ed. And I don't know if East Strasburg is like Youngstown State where I is, – is East Strasburg – is that how you say East Strasburg that where you East taught? East Strasburg, uh, PA. Yeah, I was there for several years. Not there now. Uh-huh. But uh, and, and was that a state university? Yeah, state university, yep. Yeah, so Youngstown State obviously is. And so you really uh, – I mean, I can talk about my faith, you know, and I, I mention it. But in terms of a sustained – discussion of it that that ain't happening you know and yeah. there are a lot of a fair number of christians in our you know in our our, our staff and on our staff and so forth but uh in terms of uh dialogue or dialogue with people about faith and serious dialogue with out of faith that, that that becomes a little tricky to to conduct so um so are you still full-time in the university i am yeah okay and I uh, figure I got a good six years to go. So okay. I thought about when I heard your uh, your podcasts, I thought I should try that. <laughs> but then I thought I, I looked at what it took to do that. And I, you know, kind of tried my hand at, at writing a podcast and, and delivering practicing delivering it. I thought, my gosh, I could I could maybe do one of these a month. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and one, one of these a month is not going to cut it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, on some of mine getting them out on a weekly basis, it's like, wow, how in the world, when I look back over where we've come, there's no doubt that there's the hand of God in it, because I don't think I'm capable of doing all the things. Well, I know I'm not, but even Jenny and I together, which I think is a pretty powerful force, it's just outside of the realm of possibility to put out high quality content week after week. I just don't see how it happens without the divine hand reaching down and giving you the, I don't know, all of the things that come together each week, all of the elements. Yeah, it's, it is, it's astounding. It really is. Yep. Well, I guess you, you do it enough, you get good at it. <laughs> I think we've gotten better. And one of the things Jenny tells me all the time that I need to get better at is being able to speak to a lower level of understanding, not dropping the quality of the content, but trying to speak to what I'm not used to speaking to, which is, you know, upper level graduate students in a university. And it's hard for me to do that because of my academic background. But I think we've made some real progress and she helps me an awful lot with it. So actually, we're already started. I'll use all of this content. Somehow or other, we'll piece it together into a good podcast. I would love to start with introducing our listeners to you because you reached out to me, what was it, a year ago? Was it that long? Uh, uh, probably not quite that long, maybe six months ago or so. And, okay. and I had read your uh, 
through the looking glass. Uh, no, I listened to through the looking glass uh, podcasts, and I was hoping to get a written version of that because it's some of it is pretty dense, and you you need to <laughs> go back through it. And it really yeah. helped to have the uh, the ebook so that I could kind of go back and check and and make sure I remembered correctly and so forth, and and to see it as a whole also. Yeah. Well, good. How did you find it? The book. I it mean, was re- it was really fascinating, and you know, I. I you know, picked up a lot of ideas along the way. I, I don't think I'm, I'm coming at faith from quite the same level. Uh, one in one uh, area in particular in which we really differ is uh, your your lifelong quest for certainty of knowledge is something that I've never been burdened with. Okay. Because, uh, in academic <laughs> leadership, you know, I'm a dean, so uh, you know, people people always say to me, "Are you sure?" And I say, "Well, I'm one, I'm a hundred percent sure that I I haven't a clue." Yeah. This is an educated guess. Everything in life is an educated guess, and uh, I think I'm a lot more I'm a lot more confident about Christ than I am about the decisions I make day to day. But of course, he and I have lived together a lot longer than my colleagues. I've lived with my colleagues, so uh, so uh, he has perhaps a considerable advantage. Yeah. But well, uh, no, it was very very generative, and I think we share a lot in terms of um, our life trajectories and. Uh, I was mentioning a few of these in my email, but uh, one of them was the, uh, you know, an abrupt break with a family tradition. And uh, in your case, uh, Christianity, and in my case, let's say elite education or aspirations to elite education. And then uh, a, uh, a long trajectory of unbelief through our, a substantial portion of our adult years. Right. And then, uh, and then coming to Christ later in life, and also uh, the dissolution of a difficult marriage. And in my case, it was—I uh, was not married to a Christian. I was married to a woman of Jewish upbringing who um, was an agnostic. When I met her, we were both agnostic, but then became an a- atheist and uh, later in life. And that, that became a point of friction when I started to uh, uh, pray and, and, and come to belief. And then uh, the uh, connection with a, a Christian woman who was. Uh, was able to walk the walk, and, and in her case, had a lot more experience. In the case of my current wife, had a lot more experience than than uh, I did. So, I actually uh, was first introduced to the gospel at age thirteen. My parents did not know the gospel, and I didn't believe it. And uh, it took fifty nine years before I, w- I was baptized. So, uh, God has really, really been patient because I know I didn't come to the understanding of it on my own. I had a lot of help along the way. Yeah, well, but your book was a fascinating read. Good. Was it insightful in any way? I mean, I'm, because I'm coming from like a philosophical background, and I'm not sure. I, I still don't know what your area is. Is it literature? No, I'm a. I got my doctorate in, in uh, philosophy of education, so I ah. I did some. Uh, I took some philosophy courses. Uh, Kant and Hegel or uh, or Sartre were not on the list, really. <laughs> I did uh, some. Uh, the most the most uh, valuable philosophical work I did was in ethics. Uh, from the standpoint of my job now, uh, I quickly came to the conclusion that I was not going to reproduce myself as a scholar. Um, <laughs> nobody wanted to do philosophy of education, and anybody <laughs> who did want to do it would not do, want to do the kind I did, which was basically uh, somewhat conservative. I actually I was uh, going to say then you Frary is not one of the um, one of the people in your background that. I mean, when you left Marxism early after, what was it, five years, six years as a Marxist when you were yeah. 19? Yes. So yes, you when I was that. 19. So when you yeah. left that, you didn't come back to it through the educational training? 
Oh no! I uh, oh, that's good. I was expo- <laughs> I was exposed to it during the educational training, but I was, right. uh, shall I say, uh, somewhat uh, sarcastically resistant to it. But I didn't. Uh, I didn't go to graduate school. I, I went for a master's in, at the age of um, thirty-four, and I, I started my doctorate at the age of uh, forty-six. So I was kind of a late in life doctor as well as a late in life Christian. Actually. Right. In the doctoral program, I, I took a lot of courses in philosophy, although I was an education, formerly an education major. And one of them was a course in which the principal reading was uh, Swinburne. And uh, that was uh, taught by a faculty member whose uh, name I'm not going to be able to remember now. But uh, so The Coherence of Theism was the name of the book that we read. And that introduced me to uh, rigorous philosophical thought about the, you know, the characteristics of, of God. And uh you know, Swinburne obviously dev- devotes a lot of attention, as the name would suggest, of you know, demonstrating that these various traits of the God could coexist without logical contradiction. Of course, that fell well short of saying that there is a God, but just that you're not crazy. To, you would not be crazy if you believed this. Right, right. And that is actually, in many ways, what I wanted to do with the Christian atheist as a starting point. I wanted to simply make the case. And, and it's like, I tell people, I'm not a Christian apologist. God doesn't need me to try to defend him. I try to point people to the truth, let them see it, think about it for themselves, and the truth can convince them. Because it's not like I have to convince myself. I have been convinced because I've looked at it from both sides clearly, and the best case is on the side of God, a God being there. It's just the most rational. In, in many ways, I feel bad when I go into a debate between a Christian and an atheist because it's not a fair playing ground. We have so much more of the rational structures on our side than they do. They just have this notion of absence that they're trying to hold on to. And it, it's, it's not a fair fight in a lot of ways. And so I often feel, even as a Christian, I often feel some sympathy for those who are trying to defend atheism, it's not an easy task. <laughs> well, I always thought that atheism was a, a really untenable position. And my wife was, uh, my my uh, former wife became a militant atheist. And uh, she was also very, was very angry at Christians and, and at the idea of God. And I, I thought, you know, if there isn't a God, why would the idea of God make you angry? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, no, you're, you're not compelled to believe. So, but evidently there's some conviction there that causes you to, to believe without you realizing it. And you said something earlier about my lifelong search for certainty. And that was true. But leaving that go was probably one of the fundamental points that brought me back to Christianity and, well, to, to theism. Let's say theism first, because I came to the conclusion through studying philosophy. And in particular, by studying Socratic philosophy, which originally I was quite angry about, that Socrates was right. We human beings are fundamentally ignorant creatures that are standing before a world that doesn't make complete sense because we can't grasp all of it. It's all outside of our ability to understand. And therefore, we'll never have certainty about anything, including the existence of God. But as Plato makes the point in the Phaedo, what we have to do is find that which seems best to us and then launch out on it as onto a raft, right? And sail through life on that raft. 
And if the raft is good, the sailing will be fine. Otherwise, you're going to go down and you better look for another raft. But for my life, for my money, and for all that I've done in my life, it is Christianity that has held up better than anything else I've tried. And, and that's why I'm still sailing on it. At that well, is because the companion on the raft is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. And I yeah, know that you've helps been... a lot. I know you've been questioned about that. I I, uh, yeah. I saw the uh, oh, no, what the, the name of this is going to escape me. The uh, the British guy, uh, Justin Brierly. Justin Brierly, yeah, yes. that was. Uh, uh, and uh, I I too uh, married a Christian, um, my re- recent wife, and uh, and and she told me before we got married that you're not supposed to be unequally yoked, but she was going to make an exception in my case, <laughs> and uh, and then she said to me. Uh, she said, you know, I'm not going to try to convert you. At the time, I was a, a, a theist, but but not a Christian. And she said, uh, I, I, if I tried, I couldn't, but God will convict you. And you'll do some reading in the Bible and you'll figure it out yourself. And uh, and I, I did. It took a few years, but uh, she was she was patient. So I did. So I thought that was a very helpful distinction to draw between being a theist and a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was yeah. going to actually ask you that question because it's, I wasn't sure, having read through your preface here, whether or not there was a conversion to theism first and then to to Christianity. But clearly, for what you've just said, that's exactly what happened. And that's what happened to C.S. Lewis, too, if you've read Surprised by Joy. It was exactly that same path. So the three of us, you, myself, and Lewis, have a lot of parallels in the way in which things happened. Now, for me, the transition from atheism to agnosticism and then back to theism collapsed quickly into Christianity, but that's because I was a Christian as a young person. And one of the things that Jenny said, while I was, quote, still an atheist, she said, I've talked with you. I know what you did in your past. I've, I've un-. She said, you're a Christian now. You just don't know it, you dummy. And she didn't say it that <laughs> way, but it's kind of like she knew it. And she was like, what are you doing? Just fall back into God's arms again. And that took a while. <laughs> Even though I wanted it for many years, it took a long while before I could let go. And I don't know. Here, here's something. And I, I, for you, I think you're you're talking about a conversion that was from having never been a Christian in any sense, right? You were not a theist growing Correct. up. Okay. No. So, in my sense, I I don't feel as though I was that I you know lost my salvation or however you want to talk about it. In the meantime from the time I was a Christian as a child, I don't feel as though I lost my salvation. So I'm not an Arminian in that sense. I I feel as though I walked away from God and he just kept me along that same path. Just like when you talked about in your preface how God was most active in your life when you were deepest involved in the Marxist activities in which you were living. And when I- Yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah, when I look back over that time, I mean, that was one of the things that helped me too. At the end, it's like, I see it now. And there's a clear parallel that I try to talk to atheists about when I talk to them that say this. God is there. I know you don't see it, but he's working things out in your favor always. You've just got to learn to let go and trust that just a little bit. Just open the possibility that you could go there and let God do the rest. And I found that message so clearly expressed towards the end of your preface here that you sent me. I thought that was right there at the end. I thought you brought that together so well 
in that. So I appreciated your sending it. I, I have been wondering about the um, efficacy and the credibility of my testimony, because uh, I, obviously I lived through the experiences that I wrote about, the anger and the, the turmoil and the violence and the, the grief and all, everything that went with it without uh, believing at all. And I, I just, as far as I was concerned, I was just being buffeted and uh, by uh, forces over which I had no control. And um, I was trying to figure things out as I went along. And it seemed like a, a lifelong journey of me trying to discover uh, the right path and the truth and, and, and so forth. And then when I look back on it, I, I, I came to see that uh, there were so many different times at which I had been nudged in one direction or another, or that I had been uh, kind of compelled almost against my will to do something that I would not otherwise have done. And uh, it seemed obvious that the Lord had intervened. Uh, in addition, I knew I knew what the outcome was. And uh, I had started to pray at about the age of, uh, uh, let me see, it would have been uh, right after I got my first tenure track teaching job, which was at 53. And I uh, started to pray then. And I made a bar my first prayer, I made a bargain with God and said, I said, uh, God, if you'll dig me out of this hole, if you're there, if you exist, and if you're there and you're listening, if you dig me out of this hole, then I'll pray with you every day of my life from then on, from now on. And uh, I was walking the dog at the time. I was really, really, really frustrated with something that had gone wrong at school. And uh, I got to the end and I said, this dog is exhausted. I got to bring him back. And as soon as I turned, I realized the answer to my question. And it involved a lot of work. But I did it, and I never looked back after that. I never had the same problem again, and I quickly rose and advanced in my career, and I continued to pray. So I had that experience, and I had that to look back on. But of course, the audience wouldn't—a skeptical audience would not have had that experience. And then, how how do you, you know, how do you recreate the conditions of belief? But I suppose just uh, as you say, just uh, telling the story and and uh, acknowledging what God has done in your life is the point of testimony, and. Um, uh, I, I guess it could be encouraging to Christians. It can be at least stimulating and puzzling to people who are not Christians but are open to the idea, and probably pretty exasperating to atheists, right? <laughs> a lot of things are exasperating to atheists. <laughs> Chief among them is when I tell them that they live by faith, and boy, that one raises their ire every time. But I, it, it's it's not like I'm trying to insult them. I'm just saying that you're a human being and you can't help but live by faith because we don't have certainty about anything. And so recognizing that and and ceasing the search for certainty allows you to see that there has to be something beyond all of this sort of, I don't know, cardboard cutout reality that's anchoring all of this. Something is there. I mean, it is the very nature of human rationality to seek for causality behind that which we find. It is what drives the scientific process. It is the very nature of, of the human search. And if you're going to give that up, where do you stand? I mean, you've given up everything then. And, and that, for me, is like the, the ultimate argument. And it's the argument of rationality itself. Like C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity like I believe the sun has risen. Not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And oh, that's I, mean, interesting. I, yeah. I love that quote. It is so true for me. Um, I'm so, not sure. 
go ahead. I was going to go to your experience in academia. Now, of course, maybe we should do more of your testimony so that I'm so that we can. No, no we we can we can go any direction you want. Let's, okay. let's go to ac- um, academia. So yeah. uh, in academia, uh, William Alston was the professor who I from whom I took course in uh, philosophy of Christianity, I guess, and, and with whom I, I read Swinburne, Syracuse University. Okay. And uh, at Syracuse, and uh, that was where I read the coherence of theism. But I did not become Christian or even a theist then. So I was uh, I was not a, a Christian at the time, but I was uh, conservative, and uh, I was open to the idea of Christianity. I also uh, shortly after I, I got my doctorate, I pulled my kids out of public school and started educating them at home. Having children, though, pointed me toward a, a different argument, which I think you raise in your book, which is that morality is really impossible without God. And um, I remember rashly broaching this with my then wife, who was, and she was very offended as, as an atheist that I would say something like that. And she said, well, you know, you, you think that people like us are just, uh, you know, thieves and, you know, whatever. I said, no, I don't, I don't really think that. But I, I, I do think that, um, and I, I do think that some of the arguments for uh, socialization into morality and all of that are, are there's some element of truth to them, but uh but for a moral principle really to be compelling, you have to be answerable to somebody for it. Because if it's just uh, genetics or evolution or it's just uh, socialization, or you know, herd you instinct, cast, yeah. yeah, or herd instinct, the existence of a, a creator gradually became apparent to me through my sense of obligation to my children, a responsibility I could never abrogate. Yeah, well, the, the children thing is one of those that most people find the connection to the ethics of taking care of children to be one of the most fundamental ties to the ethical impulse, because it's more than just a matter of how you feel. If that's all it is, then we would probably just be killing our children right and left, because it's not a matter of just feeling. There has to be more to the rational idea of ethics than that. And of course, the go-to philosopher there is Kant. And Kant's categorical imperative, if I were to align myself particularly with one philosopher in the Western tradition, other than Plato, Aristotle, the Greeks, it would be Kant. I, I find him incredibly compelling. And the idea of ethics as being a categorical imperative, that is, that's the fundamental basis of ethics. There is a right way to do things. And it is our responsibility to do it. Where does that come from? It's either a real thing or it's not. And if it's not, then there's no such thing as ethics, really. So I agree with what you said. But when when I talk to atheists, I almost never present it that way because I never want to tell the atheists that they're not moral. In fact, most of the atheists I know are hyper moral. And I mean that in the sense that they're deeply concerned with moral issues and themselves want to advance moral causes even I think oftentimes more than a lot of Christians I know. (laughs) So they're always concerned about that. And therefore, I think the moral argument might be a good way into atheist evangelism if we're going to do that. But yeah, I was actually going towards more of the question about academia in terms of how you deal with it as a Christian. We started talking about that a little earlier on. I have gotten taken to task in how I conduct my classroom, not because I preach, 
but because I dare even to bring up the notion of God and that there might be moral absolutes that we can't violate, we should not be violating in our culture, and we are. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.